This is Fuse FM, Manchester's student radio. Hello, and you are back with us. It is yet another thrilling episode of Fuse in Focus. We're sure that you're all very excited about it at home. I know we are. Are we feeling good about this? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. A, little, a little bit frazzled because, you know, some tech stuff hasn't been going our way. Well, my way. Um, but, you know, in general, excited for the show. So not not the most riveting or like heartwarming, soothing of reading weeks for you then, Megan? No, no, what definitely about, not. What about you, Conrad? How's your reading week been? It's non-existent. No. The, nothing changes for re- reading week for me. I just have lectures <laughs> still and work to do. And Wait, really? Yeah, course work to hand in today. So Oh, good God. It's, uh, it's nothing week for me. It's continuation. <laughs> oh, dear. i got a nice weekend coming up. So Well, that's yeah, good at least. That's yeah, good. a bit of something to look. What are you up to? I'm going to York. Oh, really? To, yeah, my girlfriend's there. Oh, brilliant. Doing masters and we're going to see fireworks tomorrow night. That they're is gonna, very... There are going to be nice. fireworks tonight. See, that is nice. So at least you can have a relaxing weekend, if not a relaxing reading week. Yeah. yeah. I've I've had uh, been doing a lot of coursework, very similar to, to yourself. Um, nothing stops. Coursework due, essays yep. due, got to yep. get them in. Um, I got mocked, and th- this definitely detracted from my week on four separate occasions this week for putting rice in salads rice oh. don't you add to this now Megan, <laughs> no, no 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 i'm just trying to understand it rice in a salad what kind of rice like just just, just like some whole grain like brown rice i right stay with me on this right a bit of rice yeah in like a nice tuna salad it just it just works or are you guys not on that level I, I don't have a problem with that. I just don't like eating rice cold. <laughs> and I feel like it's warm. It's weird to warm up salad. So I I think it's a, I'm a little bit conflicted. But, but, but I can understand it. Okay. Because you can have a pasta salad so, and you can have a couscous salad. So why, why not can't a rice, you have a rice salad? salad? See, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I see. I, I get that. I've had rice in a salad before. So And how was it? It was pretty nice. It was, it was like the funny, uh, like, the rice that has like a weird green hard skin around it, but oh, right. it's like a special like rice. But <laughs> it was pretty nice anyway, so I can imagine any old rice would be acceptable. Well, th- this is perhaps a tasty. more substantially positive response that I've had from both of you than I have from everyone else. If you're at home and you've got any thoughts about putting <laughs> rice in salads, please get in touch with us. Uh, we, we, we take postcards and Facebook messages. <laughs> Um, so let's Sending quickly introduce ourselves. Uh, the, we are your panel for this week. I'm James. I'm Megan. And I'm Conrad. And today we will be talking about some stories. The first one of which is Megan. Would you like to introduce this? So the UCU, which is the University Union of Wow, University <laughs> University <laughs> of Union. <laughs> <laughs> let me look, let me get the headline up. <laughs> because I don't want to misinform the people. So the UCU um, have held a vote on industrial action that's actually gone through. The Guardian has written an an article that's headlined, Angry University Workers Vote in Favour of Industrial Action. Industrial Action, sorry. University and College Union says ballots are an indi... Wow. (laughs) It's okay, Megan. It's okay. Do you know what? It's been a long day. Basically, they want to go on strike. (laughs) And that means means our lecturers want to strike, which means Mm -hmm. that we may not get lectures, we may not get seminars, our own education is going to be affected. How do we feel about that, guys? 
Um, I think, and we were sort of touching on this a little bit before we just went to air. Yeah. Um, it's it, from our perspective as students, I think it mm-hmm. kind of puts us in a weird spot because a it really does. We want mm-hmm. to stand with lecturers and mm-hmm. we want to support them if if their pay is being meddled with, if yeah. their pensions yeah. are being fiddled with. Mm-hmm. Naturally, that's a very good reason to be angry. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time. We're sort of here to get educated. Yeah. And if we can't do that, that puts us in a really challenging position. Yeah. So th- th- there's a kind of a bit of a, a cognitive... Uh, it's a conflict. Yeah. It's definitely mm-hmm. a conflict. I think I think the uh, lecturers probably, they're also thinking about that when they do this. So I think it'll, it'll be... The fact that they've made this decision is quite indicative of how seriously they're taking the issue. Because yeah. they know that we'll be affected. Yeah. But um, I think if, you know, students understand that they know that, then... Uh, there'll still be support yeah. for them. I mean, I I remember I had to go to a like the UCU's general secretary tour, and she, Joe Grady, who is the secretary, um, was really talking about how they just their their pay is just not right. Like, and it's the fact that over a certain amount of years, it should have changed and it should have progressed but if they don't take action now it's only really going to get worse yeah and i think as well a lot of what she touched on was the fact that you know lecturers and seminar takers and university staff in general seem to make they are they're under so much pressure that sometimes they're taking leave just to like recover from that pressure Mm -hmm. and it's like they're taking leave to catch up on work and as someone that is a student and has done that before where I've gone, I'm going to take a day off because I'm behind on my lecture notes and stuff. Yeah. I know how that feels. And the fact that this is something that you just should be able to do, like it, it's mm-hmm. not like you should be able to work your job and not feel like I have to take time away from my job to catch up on my job. This seems like too much pressure. And, you know, she said that's how you, they make mistakes and then that's how it affects us. And actually... They are doing it for a very real and good reason because if our lecturers aren't paid well and they're not supported in the way that they are, then our quality of teaching is just not going to be where it should be. Yeah, definitely. And I think as sort of bad as it is that, say, a student might have to take time off to catch up on stuff, yeah. that, that's obviously appalling. Students should be but supported. that was my fault. Like, I had missed stuff and then it was like my workload had got on top of me, mm-hmm. whereas this is genuinely, they're doing what they can, but their work days are just far too long. And it's like you're being told you need to prepare all of these lectures and mark of all all this work and it's like you either can prepare the lectures really well or you can mark the work really well you can't do both so how how would we all feel then if say say you were to go to a lecture yeah and you go there same time same place and there's just a notice pinned on the door saying sorry guys no lecture this week how how would we respond to that or how have we responded to similar things in the past probably go solidarity Yeah, I think part of me does. I do want to stand in solidarity with them because, especially from going to the the uh, talk, I've realised that the university is making profit, and that's that's really the heart of the issue. It's not that they're the money's not there. It's clear that the money is there, and they're not being paid what they deserve and after speaking to one other lecturer i think he or he's a he works in the university to do with it he's talking about how some people are just not on a contract so they'll work for a whole year at the university and not know if they're coming back and then the university are like well yeah like you're coming back but it's this very insecure 
I don't know if I'm working here long term. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm being employed. Like you just That's... uncertain. And as a like as someone that wants to think about what sort of job you want, that is literally the worst thing I can imagine. Mm. Insecurity about my job when I've worked so hard to get there. And that's amazing, especially for like you know an institute of higher education to have insecure work. You, you'd expect this would be the place where you have a job for life or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. exactly. Also, also, um, I think that part, partly a lot of the students here will go on to become you know they'll in academia. Start, yeah, they'll start doing you know yeah. climbing that yeah. academic ladder. Yeah. So this will affect them in ten or twenty years. Oh, hundred percent. Like, there's a hundred percent a knock-on effect here, and, yeah. I, and I can only imagine how frustrating it must be for lecturers and people that are in these sort of um like i don't know sort of um researchers or library staff within the uni that are in these kind of precarious positions yeah to not have that sort of confidence of themselves in their workplace Mm. and simultaneously to see the uni slinging up all these new shiny buildings yeah even just sort of down on oxford road right now there's like that i I can't remember what it's called but there's that engineering i know there's the engineering building on like upper brook street that's being built huge huge like multi-million pound investment you've you've had the business school that's been built as well it, it just it feels like you, they, i just think they're probably being taken for granted and i think that's yeah. why they're sick of it i think the university really you can tell where they're trying to focus because they build the business school and they build the engineering and they put a lot of money into the biology buildings yeah. and then other like the humanities yeah. they get cuts and things i think i think the one thing is though that i think they would have sponsors because yeah. i think like I mean, my perception is, is is that the Stopford building is has a really really nice library because they've produced doctors that want mm-hmm. to go on and sponsor a nice library for mm-hmm. the medical students. Um, but I guess it does feel weird because uh, as a law student, like our law school's technically been cut and fused with mm-hmm. the social sciences, and we don't actually have a building. We have floors of a building, which yeah. is actually like I think it's like archaeology or some sort of earth mm-hmm. science where they like dig that's archaeology yeah <laughs> archaeology got uh cut from eight they had eight lecturers two years ago now they have four wow so they're sliced in and, two and, do you know what? and the archaeology department like the uni takes a lot of pride in like the amount of stuff in the museum that they've got that mm-hmm. like archaeological exhibits you would have thought it's, that they'd be yeah. you know, really pride i in think that. it's because the university makes a lot of money from the research it does and like graphene and it makes it puts patents on some of these discoveries mm-hmm. but the big money is in science and business, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then the humanities, they're kind of just good, so good for knowledge, but you can't sell it to anyone. Yeah. So that's yeah. why they invest in, you know, the the, the investments. I can I can yeah. appreciate that. And um, when I did my uh, undergrad, admittedly not at this uni, like a shame to say. <laughs> uh, what did you do your undergrad? Uh, I did my undergrad at Derby Uni okay. in creative writing. Ooh. So a very, very underappreciated humanities is, subject. Yeah. Does Derby have that? Oh, do, they, do they own that big dome in Buxton? Yes, they do cool, own the, wow. the big dome. The, the dome. big dome. I went, I went to the spa that's in that dome. It's a good Ooh, dome. Look at Conrad showing up. I went to the spa that was in that dome. But um, we, Your uh, lecturers can't afford that. <laughs> we were one of those um, sort of unis, and it was definitely one of those subjects where completely underappreciated topic very 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 mm. frustrated staff because we mm. were always put in these like weird buildings off in like the corner of campus like away oh, from everything dear. else and i remember um when i was doing the undergrad there was a strike action 
Uh, we only had it for a week, very fortunately, and yeah, the lecturers were clearly in a very sort of difficult position, and I believe that the UCU had told them explicitly in order to sort of maximise the effectiveness of this strike, yeah. don't tell your students what days mm. we're going to be striking See, that on. was completely different. I want to say in 20... I think it was... 17, I think. 2017. There was strike... No, I think it was 2018. I think it was 2018. Well, we were in 2019. So were you... No, yeah, it was 2017. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. It was, I think it was 2017. <laughs> um, or beginning of 2018. And they explicitly said, uh, you know, you were going to strike one day on this week. We're going to strike two days on this week, three days on the next week, and four days on the next week. And then completely for the... Like, but it was a, like a month-long strike. And I was studying comparative politics. Mm-hmm. And I can clearly remember... I do not know anything about the Chinese politics that I was supposed to be comparing. Right. And I I just, it was kind of like you just didn't have uni for a month, but you were expected to have, like, knowledge of it. And I think that's where people got frustrated. And I can especially see the frustration in some international students when they pay, like, three, four, five, I don't even know how many times more than us... And they've come to like they've come to a whole different country to get this education, and they're not getting it. Yeah. And I think that there's real conflict there. Like they, I think they are really annoyed, as they are rightfully should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would be like I guess supremely frustrating from an international yeah. student perspective yeah. as well. But when we had the strike um, when I was on undergrad, we were very fortunate that we had a lecturer that sort of understood the implications of it. Yeah. And we had a, like a lecture like two weeks before mm. where he sort of explained to us, we're not allowed to tell you when this action is going to be, but I happen to have it on a sheet here, which is confidential. I'm going to place it on this table. And if you look at it... Nobody look at it. I, would, I need to go to the bathroom for five minutes mm-hmm. and just went out. And so, so he, he was very good. I'm not going to name names. Like, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want to get anyone in did trouble people, with the Did UC. people look at it? Of course we did. Yeah. <laughs> of course we did. It was just like, all right, cool. But actually, I think that solidarity is important. Yeah. Because it's it's go... Then then you understand, look, it's not my lecturers, it's the uni. My, my lecturers yeah. genuinely want me to have this good quality mm-hmm. of education, but it's actually the uni that have, like, messed them over and that's why they're striking. That's a perfect note to end on. It is. It so, is really a perfect note. Um, moving on to our next story. Um, now, this week, um, the re- report was published on, I believe, the what was it, the thirtieth? So two days ago. Yeah. Um, the first stage of a governmental report and inquiry mm-hmm. into Grenfell Fire. Yeah. And the Grenfell Tower Fire. Yeah. Um, have you guys had a chance to see much about this? Do you know much about the, the report itself? Uh, a little bit. I am under the understanding that there's, I think there's two, either two phases or two reports that are coming out. And the report that's just come out was focused on the fire brigade. Yes. And focused on their impact and how they could have helped a little bit more and potentially the not like the people responding to 999 calls i haven't heard much about it but i think that that was included in the report and then Mm -hmm. the report that's coming after is the report which i think makes a lot more sense and is a lot more um grounded in kind of more motion emotion i mean is i think the report on the cladding 
Yeah. So this is this is the response. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. The, the cladding report is not out yet. No. The first stage that came out focused on just the fire service and their response and their ability to respond. Yeah. Comrade, have you given mm-hmm. that much of a look or much of a thought? Um, I well, I haven't. I've been pretty busy, but I I do, <laughs> I do know. Um, I remember there, there's uh, a lot of argument around Danny Cotton, the London fire chief, at the yes. time. Yes. Um, because uh, she said that she was asked if there was anything that she regrets or would do differently and about the situation. No, and like she said no. And she said straight up. She said no, which um, is, you know, completely misreading the the emotion and the sentiment of the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, and 72 people died, and then she, she, she has hindsight to say, you know, we could have made the order to evacuate the building immediately or something like that. Mm. I th- what her point is that the guidelines that they had at the time, they followed them strictly. Yeah. And so I think her point is following the guidelines is what we do. So, you know, and, and th- I, that I, I don't... Because we did it, that doesn't make us bad. But the fact that now that they know what went wrong, she could have said things that need to improve. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think if, you know, nothing else, this is definitely highlighted. Like, like There are such terrible, terrible inadequacies in the information that, that they did have. So a big part of the report focused on how the fire brigade had not been trained mm. in the actual cladding materials. Like, they were going to it blind. They didn't know how to respond okay. to it. Obviously... Yeah. I'm not a firefighter. So I don't. don't know. I don't know much about fire. <laughs> yeah. But different materials burn in different ways, mm, and you yeah. need to respond to them in different ways. Yeah. None of the fire service had been trained on the actual material that was the cladding. They mm. didn't know how to respond to yeah. it. Um, a big part of their training was when they were receiving the calls mm-hmm. from people saying our building is on fire, the tower's going down. Their training was to say to people, you just stay need to stay put. Yeah. And I think a big part of that um, and a big part of sort of the, the responders that were receiving those calls that they've mm. had to take away from it is that they directly told people, stay in the building and don't move. And those words explicitly led to people's deaths. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how challenging that must be for someone to get yeah. that on a call. See, this to- is I think this is my... I think the key thing to take away and to kind of think about when we do listen to the report and um, try and understand it is the fact that I don't think the people that wrote the report are saying individually those firemen didn't do what they should have. They're not individually attacking the firemen. They're attacking the procedures and they're attacking the head of the fire brigade which said, oh, didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. That is who the critique is aimed at because on an individual level they did Mm -hmm. insanely well because this isn't this should not have been an issue and i think that's also why it's important to think about the fact that the report on the cladding is not out yet because that that to me is the real issue that to me the fact that there is like cladding and the fact that there wasn't sprinklers all of that that is that they the people that have not installed those measures are the real crooks Mm -hmm. the fire brigade yeah they did something wrong and they deserve it deserves to be expressed in a report but individually they did they Mm. did a response that they did the best they could do in the response well um i think there's still you know the the fire brigade still needs to learn lessons from the situation yeah Yeah. of course um it's a i think it's a it's a issue of like organization and planning and knowing the situations that could arise yeah when you know in different you know when different buildings go up um 
So I think their their problem was that they didn't know what to do in every situation. So they have like a a one size fits all. You know, we do this when a building yeah, goes up, yeah. even though it could have different cladding, or there could be, you know, loads of different fire true. safety problems true. in the building. I think um, to to look a little bit ahead to perhaps the next yes. stage of the inquiry, maybe some of the um, political and financial decisions that perhaps led to this. We've actually got a clip. Yeah. Um, now, just to kind of preface this a little bit, um, this is a voice clip from 2013 when um, a member of the London Assembly, Andrew Dismore, um, raised cuts to the fire service, to firefighters and to fire station posts Mm -hmm. with then Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, who Mm -hmm. had been at the forefront of making those cuts. Um, just, Just listen to his response. Let's play the clip. How can... How can cutting fire stations, cutting fire engines, cutting firefighters' posts not be a reduction in fire cover? Because we're improving fire cover, as I've said, as I've said several times. And it, by continuing to reduce deaths from fire and continuing to reduce the incidence of fire, that is the name of the game. It's you not lie. about it. You lied to the people of London in your Oh, election. get stuck. Uh, can I uh, can I call on you to withdraw that remark, Matt? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologise to. to, to uh, it was. Uh, it, it, it just popped out. I'm very sorry. Yep. So that is, in no uncertain terms, <laughs> I, I can't quite overstate how surreal and bizarre that is. That that is someone directly challenging the person who made those cuts, mm. saying this will endanger people's lives. And, and he his re- just says, get stuffed. And his response is, get stuffed, yeah. Also, it's that scary. man's the Prime Minister now. It's scary. And in fact, um, the Manchester Evening News have released an article saying that there's about 79 uh, Greater Manchester Tower blocks that still don't know if they meet fire safety standards two years after Grimfell. Which is crazy. Very crazy. That is crazy. And the thing is, if they were bit, like not not to bring like a sort of class perspective onto this. Oh no, bring it. If those blocks and those um, sorry, the, <laughs> the entirety of my pen just, <laughs> just fell out apart. of my pen. If those blocks were in wealthy estates in Kensington Gardens uh-huh. or in London, uh-huh. they would have been sorted within days. Yeah, the ball would have started rolling. Hundred percent. And I'm willing. I don't know the specific buildings. It, it in was in Kensington tonight. as well, wasn't it? Grenfell yeah, was in Kensington yeah. and is, such think, wealth disparity. Yeah, I think that is a deeper issue within the issue is the fact that the tower, the area of the tower, the area where the tower was in Grenfell, was becoming a gentrified location, yeah. and you had people that were very, very wealthy next to people that were you know, struggling and like having to have council kind of accommodation and not earning the most money and, you know, relying on the fact that the council were going to change this cladding because it's not safe. And, you know, kind of that idea of the fact that you've got these rich people and it almost felt like they, this, in a really horrible way, it kind of feels like there was an attempt to kind of move them out. Yeah. Not not by not on purpose, but it was kind of like a, well, we can't really be bothered because they shouldn't really be here anyway, kind of thing. And when you look at the report and when you look at the um, 
kind of the families that were affected, no white middle class at all. Mm-hmm. All kind of working class or, you know, lower class, immigrants, people of ethnic minority, just not the sort of people that I feel like our government really care you know, about. It's such an indictment on our times. Like, the, the symbol of Grenfell, like when you drive from Manchester into London and you go down the M40 mm-hmm. and then you see, yeah. as soon as you enter the city, there's this burnt out block where 72 working class yeah, and I'm pretty sure People it's of minor- more than minority that. They just aren't able to calculate it. Did you see um, Corbyn coming into the House of Commons with the green tie? And I also it? heard that someone took the mick out of him. Not only did someone, like loads and loads of the Tory backbenches would like started ripping him and sort of ju- like shouting out at him for having this green tie and this green pin on. You know, like the little green heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Loads of them, and like Theresa May is obviously on the back benches and yeah. she's just like whipping round them. Like, shut up! It's about Grenfell. Do not mock this. And it's just, it's just you crazy. Know, that though, makes me really angry. That there can that be they can still be that insensitive. such a blind ignorance to yeah. the issue on the day the report was published, and it just doesn't even register, register in their minds. <sighs> Moving along. <laughs> what, what? What can we? Happy what, episode. That's, and that's the thing. Sometimes when we talk about news stories, we it we then feel like we have a responsibility. But what can you actually do in this situation? Well, it's funny you should say, Megan. Here we go. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> so, in case anyone has been living under a rock over the course of the past week, it's official. We're having a general election. Uh huh. Twelfth of December. Yes. This Make is, sure you're registered yeah. to vote. Yeah, this is going to be a big one. If we could just preface this by just saying to everyone who is listening or could be listening, mm-hmm. if you are not registered to vote, register. Do it now. Get like right now. If you're listening to this on Spotify and, and you know that you've not registered, pause it, register, then please come back and keep listening. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate the support. And if you if you if you live in Manchester, Gorton, as a student, don't. Don't register in Manchester Gorton because it's such a safe Labour. Unless, unless you want to vote unless for another party, for of another course. Party. Yeah, yes, this, this sorry. is another very, very important point. So students can register in two addresses. Yeah. So you can register your home address and your term address, mm-hmm. and you can decide which one you want to vote in. And yeah. it would be worth you, if you want your vote to have the biggest possible impact, take a look at what happened in 2017, mm-hmm. have a think about who you're going to vote for, see where your votes would be of the biggest impact yeah have a look where where are the seats kind of what's the word for them swaying not swaying swing seats swing seats where are the swing seats marginal seats where is it that like if it's definite that you're probably going to get the outcome of a certain seat not saying don't vote there but if the other seat is marginal then vote there yeah What, what constituencies do you are you voting in um i'm not that's the thing i'm not sure yet i need to do my research because where my parents live is like surrey heath which is conservative right who's the the mp what's the like the lead probably a lot i'm assuming (laughs) (laughs) i'm assuming um but i need to do my research as i said because i want to make sure that i'm voting in the right place yeah Mm -hmm. um because it's either that or manchester so I am registered. Um, I didn't consider this that I could register at a term time in a home address. So I'm just registered in Manchester Central. Yeah. Um, but my home constituency is Macclesfield, which is beyond a Conservative safe seat. Mm-hmm. So it has not had 
or sorry, it has been a Conservative seat unbroken since 1917. Wow. 102 years of Conservatism. And it, it, is, it is regarded as such a safe seat. In 2017, the Labour candidate, Neil Puttick, really, really nice bloke. Yeah. Um, I've met him a couple of times on nights mm. out in Mac and just had a chat with him. <laughs> I was like, I think I voted for you once, mate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he got closer than anyone has ever got yeah. um, to ousting the Tories in that seat. Yeah. And um, who knows what could happen this time. Yeah. People do feel very, very strongly about this election. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll be voting in Manchester Central. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Conrad? I get uh, Streatham is my constituency in London, mm-hmm. and that was Chukwuma's seat until he. Oh, really? Well, I mean, it's still his seat currently until yeah. they dissolve Parliament as a Lib Dem. Yeah. But then he's moving to City of London. Right. And, okay. Uh, so then I I don't know what Lib Dem candidate's going to follow him or what Labour candidate's going to yeah. follow him. Yeah. But it's it's historically such a safe Labour seat and such, but also a really strong Remain seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe there'll be a conflict between. Lib Dem and Labour, but I, I, I think more people actually are bothered about, you know, economics rather than Brexit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure it's going to be Labour again. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's a really interesting election one. This isn't it because this is kind of like coming up to almost the very end of ten years of Conservative rule, mm-hmm. which in of itself would be a massive election. Like, like yeah. th- this is hugely influential. But on top of that, we've obviously got the Brexit issue. Yeah. Like, the, in, in no uncertain terms, like, that is the number one issue I think people will be voting yeah, on this time. Yeah, 100%. Is on they're, Brexit. They'll be voting. Well, I feel like a lot of people are going to use it as an opportunity to voice their opinion on Brexit. Yeah. Um, And I also think that it's, it's interesting that we're having a general election, and I think it's raising the issue of whether 16-year-olds should be allowed to vote. Um, mm. in, obviously, they're not going to be able to vote in this general election, but it's bringing that people do want 16 year olds to have a vote and i think that's important to i think it's important to give 16 year olds a voice yeah whether it's with a vote whether it's with something else i'm not sure but i personally feel strongly that i can feel if i was 16 or not actually if i was 16 now that i'm old enough to vote i feel a certain way about the fact that when you started talking about brexit i couldn't vote and if yeah. things had gone the other way, I would not have been able to have a say in it, despite the fact that this is now the world that I have to live in. Also, yeah. Do you see my point? Yeah, I think um, as well, the the reason like the deadline is at 18 or the cutoff is 18 yeah. is because, you know, you think that's the point where people can make sensible decisions, yeah. mm. which, I mean, is not entirely true because there are lots of people who are older than 18 who make very bad decisions. But also, <laughs> like, I think personally, I haven't changed much since I was 16 I, like, I, I, just, I still find it the same I don't know agency yeah. and consciousness and yeah. I think that kind of just carries on throughout life and like 16 year olds 17 year olds and they may they, they can think and they know and I think, you know, they're I think aware as well like the the, the, the the prevalence of the internet and how wired in young people are these days into yeah. what's going on around them like they're substantially more clued in than they would have been when those laws were first 100%. brought into place and in a bit you know in an election with a big issue like Brexit where this will unquestionably affect everyone in this uh, country for the next 50 years or so. Like, we're all in our 20s here or near about, aren't we? Wait, are we all in our 20s here? Yeah, I'm 21. (laughs) Hey, we're all all in our 20s. Like, this election and the outcome of Brexit will affect us until we hit our 70s. And you know what's mad is that I saw a statistic that talked about how many people, the elderly people that voted in Brexit, how many of them have died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since... 
and I'm not saying they shouldn't mm-hmm. have got a say. They should have got a say. But these people that are quite elderly, I feel like they need to remember that they are there. They they have an important part to play in intergenerational justice. Yes. Because they are not voting for their world. They are voting for the world for their grandchildren, for their extended family, for other people in society. If you are 96 (laughs) and you have a vote on Brexit, I'm really sorry, but you're probably not going to live to really see the effects of that. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I, that's quite a morbid statistic. I mean, it liter- is, literally. It is morbid, but, but it's, it's a very morbid yeah, statistic. I, th- I think the other, the flip side of that is, of course, that there's young people coming through who can now vote, and and I, that I, I really that's like that. Very important. I really like that, and I think I just think young people should be given more of a voice, and I think they should be taken ser- like taken seriously. I I saw a really funny like this is quite this might entertain you a little bit. <laughs> this guy tweeted on Twitter in response to this whole. Um, debate saying, "Oh, my 16-year-old lad, he doesn't like. He just doesn't know what's going on with life. He doesn't know his head from his bottom, and all of this other stuff. <laughs> and then, and like, he shouldn't be given a vote. Why should he be given a vote? He doesn't know what's going on. And then someone like quote tweeted it saying, "Well, I blame the parents." Hey. <laughs> and it was like, you know what? Yeah, because a lot, not all 16-year-olds are like that. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, like, I'm, I'm older than that now, and I'm still an idiot, like, and I'm allowed to vote, so who's to say that... And you can literally marry your MP, but you can't vote for them at 16. Really? Yeah. Is that... Oh, God, yeah, of course you yeah, could. Yeah, you can marry MP, but you can't vote for them. Maybe that's a way to influence political change. Yeah. Right, if anyone <laughs> under the age of 18 is still is listening... We've solved the problem. Just marry your MP <laughs> and quietly have words with them. Yeah. Right, so, um, to just summarise... Please, again, register to vote. Yeah. Have a think about who you want to vote for. This is going to be hugely important. I know a lot of people are a bit put off. They maybe think, what influence can I have? It's a huge national election. I've only got one vote. It's not about that. It's about are you personally going to take the accountability to just register to vote? It is so easy. Mm -hmm. It is so, so easy. As a citizen, this is like your biggest duty yeah this is like this is what you should be giving back to society mm-hmm. and it's your it, i really see it as it is your responsibility to look up just a little bit of information about politics and kind of the state of affairs and decide which, which direction do i want to go in that's that's what you owe to society in my point of view mm-hmm. that is you owe your voice you owe your opinion because then when things happen and you don't agree with them it's on you mate yeah it's on you that's brilliant <laughs> so um just to end the story sorry the show off today uh quick little fun story <laughs> <laughs> i love how we're already laughing because we yeah. know what it is yeah so um you know megan would you like to explain what what we're going to be talking about here so we're talking about the big white wall we'll be talking about the big white wall right so the university of manchester have put up in i think it's actually in conjunction with this company called the big white wall a big mm-hmm. white cube that was plain and given a load of people pens to they'd write. be happy for the business i think yeah <laughs> positive and inspiring messages to help people with their mental well-being and um while there are some nice messages inspiring messages there are quite a lot of people that just went i just want to write on this wall and say what's on my mind <laughs> and it didn't probably it's not probably what they intended it to be no and i wonder if they'd ever put these walls up in places that aren't student like areas <laughs> yeah because i think yeah. there's definitely like the other day i was walking past it after a late night library session going home yeah um and there were like four students all pissed like with permanent markers scrolling the word cat 
Oh, on, on the wall. And I was just like, of course. Yeah, of course. there's, there's some nice messages. It's but... great. You can see like you can see into the consciousness of the people <laughs> in this yes. area. Yeah. You see like a little microcosm of just like this one thought that somebody had. And like, and people are responding on it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's become a bit of like a physical comment section. Yeah. I like that there was um, yeah, there's one person who just drew a little knob on it. And <laughs> so that was that was what was on his mind wow. at the time. He just came through and couldn't think of anything to say, yeah. and then drew I'm that just, and I'm walked just off. Put a little, just a little crude little penis. But on it's it. also it's also a place of like. Like uh, some people have used it as a space to make a political comment. Like you kind of got the uh, like people are saying stand with Hong Kong on the on the board and then there's like one China on there and you can see the dynamic Chile of, as well on the other side yeah you can see the dynamic of their students with political opinions and mm-hmm. they just went this is a free space I'm going to talk about my political opinions I'm going to put it here and everyone can see it nothing to do with your well-being mate don't <laughs> don't give an absolute toss this is what I think of the world I think it's pretty good for that then yeah all the better for it <laughs> yeah so, um, and that just about brings us to the end of the show. We are coming up to 12 o'clock. We've got to get out of here and scarper away for uh, really do. the end of our reading week. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to thank everyone who has listened. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to take part in this show, please do get in touch with us. Um, if you go onto Facebook, search Fuse FM News Presenters Group. Yeah. I believe it is. Um, you can mm-hmm. find us there. If um, there's anything... And we have a fancy Instagram. We do have a fancy at Instagram. Fuse in Focus. Which we're going to post on immediately after this. Yeah. We're, we're going to take a little picture of the three of us and we'll put that on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, if you would like to get in touch, either to come on the show or something you'd like us to talk about, please don't hold back. Uh, follow us on Instagram, at Fuse in Focus. And all that's left to say is, I've been James. I've been Megan. And I've been Conrad. Good talk, everyone. This is Fuse FM. <laughs>